0: Hi, Women in Diplomacy listeners. This is your host, Kelsey Sumnick. Guess what? This is my 50th podcast episode. I am super psyched to have reached this, should we call it a podcasting milestone? Because I really, truly had no idea where this was going when I first started this podcast. But I'm very grateful that it's brought me here to be with you, to have interviewed all the inspiring women that we've met so far, and one of the best things too is that I'm getting a chance to meet all of you offline as well. So please don't hesitate to reach out, especially if you have suggestions for future episodes that you'd like to hear. That's what I do the podcast for. This is all about us really trying to find the best career fit so that we can get on with the business of changing the world. My email is kelsey, K-E-L-S-E-Y, at theforeignpolicyproject.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with me this far. Let's see where we can take it next. In honor of this milestone, we have an awesome guest, of course, Jessica Ernst. She just wrote this book called So, You Want to Save the World? A Guide to Pursuing a Career in International Development. Jessica increases social impact through facilitating and managing global partnerships. She traveled to her first developing country at the age of 20 when she studied abroad in South Africa and has now visited 38 countries and counting. Welcome Jessica. Thank you. Why did you decide to write this book? That is a great question.
1: Well, when I graduated from college, I knew I wanted to work in international development and, you know, kind of what people encourage you to do, right, is network, do coffee dates, uh, meet with folks to either get jobs or get advice in the field. So I, I took that to heart and I set up these coffee dates and I met with people and I had a lot of passion to work in international development. I had, you know, interned with the U.S. Embassy in Zambia, I studied abroad in South Africa, I, you know, had studied this in school, I really cared about the issues. But, you know, meeting with folks, I, what I was saying was, I want to work in international development, and period, because I didn't know kind of what the options were, I didn't know what else to say. And so even at the time, I realized it wasn't really as effective, um, as it could have been, um, so then fast forward now, and more recently, I've now been in the position of being asked on coffee dates by by students and recent graduates, and I saw them making the same mistake. They really wanted to work in international f- development or international affairs more generally, but they didn't really know how to articulate they didn't really know what they wanted and how to articulate that um, and so. I've found myself asking them a lot of questions, basically interrogating these poor students, where um, I would say, okay, well, where do you want to be based? Here in the US, abroad? Okay, you say you want to be based abroad. Are you thinking, you know, kind of Afghanistan, Iraq, like more, um, you know, places that are less stable? Or would you like to be somewhere like Tanzania that, that is more stable? And You know, here are some things you should consider when making those decisions. Um, So through, you know, kind of asking all these questions to students and laying out the options, criteria, different trade-offs, they started gaining more clarity and were able. And then I'm I as the person they were talking to um, gained more clarity and could say, Oh, okay. Well, if you're interested in that, I know somebody who works on that. Let me connect you. Or Here are the top five organizations that I know work on that like um, follow up with you know try to find somebody there to connect with or different different ways like that of helping them so after years of of coffee days with students um, I distilled it down to a few questions, which is what you find in the book each chapter of the book um, is a is a different question that um I want the reader to ask themselves and think through, but then I also give them those options and sort of what what those decision points are so that they feel like they're making an informed decision. And then I also go two steps further. Um, First, I provide experience, um, different experiences from from other uh, colleagues in international development. So for instance, I was a Fulbright scholar, um, which was an amazing experience, and, but I also provide the experience or a a blurb from a colleague that did Peace Corps, which is, again, also amazing, but slightly different, slightly different, um, you know, outcomes that you're trying to achieve. And so I want people to be able to um, get a sense of of different paths um, because, None of this is right or wrong. It's all what you wanna get out of your career. And I'm not here to tell you what your career is gonna be. I'm just trying to help you see the options. Um, and the second thing is at the end of the book, there's some chapters with um, next steps um, that really lay out once you have these answers, what you should do with it. Um, Cause I want people to feel equipped that they, that they know they have that clarity and also
0: then know what to do with that clarity. Amazing. I know I certainly would have loved to have this book throughout my own coffee dates. So I am definitely looking forward to picking up my own copy. Why is international relations so unique, you know? And and why does figuring out a career path in international affairs feel different and maybe not as simple as other fields?
1: That is a good question. I think, I mean, one of the most obvious answers to that question is it just it doesn't have a straight line. There's no, you know, it's not like becoming a lawyer or a doctor or my sister's a teacher, where I feel like there's a little bit more of a trodden path. And so it's, you know, you get this degree and this credential and this is the type of experience you need. International development is everything. You know, it it covers the gamut in terms of subject area and different expertise. And obviously, you're geographically speaking, you're covering the world. So um, it's hard to kind of figure out um, your place in that. And so um, I think that's that's why it's so difficult to kind of figure out how to how to focus in because international development, by its nature, is is covering a lot. Um, So yeah, I do go into um, the first question, actually, the book book asks the person to answer is the question of why, why you want to work in international development. And I realize this might seem a little simplistic. But I think a lot of people go into international development a bit naive. And I will say that my 22 year old self was quite naive and really wanted to go in and Save the World, as uh, the title of the book is, is a bit tongue-in-cheek about, um, or I discuss in the book kind of the three main reasons of why I find people go into international development. Um, just to briefly go over them, it's uh, purpose, so saving the world, travel, people who want to see the world, and then uh, a certain interest area that they have. You know, perhaps it's, um, you know, public health, and you want to do that. Um, at a global scale. So, and I think those three kind of buckets are amazing and important and we all kind of fit into them. But for the day-to-day work, you need something a little bit, I don't know, a little bit stronger, a little bit more um, deeper if you're going to sustain yourself. Because You know, sometimes you're just doing paperwork (laughs) and it's miserable and you're not going to jump out of bed to go save the world. You need something that is a little bit more intrinsically um, close to your heart. And so um, I definitely encourage people to kind of think through that first of what what do you really want to
0: get out of this career in
1: international development?
0: Okay, so. What has your own path been like? How did you come to realize that you knew that working in international development was the right fit for you? Absolutely. Well, let me
1: first answer a question with a question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Did you, Are your hands sweating a little bit? Are you feeling a little, your heart skip a beat? You're like squirming in your chair? Then probably international development is the right place for you <laughs> because I, as a kid, hated that question. I hated it because I never had a good answer. You look around and you see people, you know, you see teachers, you see these different profession, professions around you, but they're not things you want to do. And so for a long time, I was, you know, just really not sure what I wanted to do, but there were a few kind of um, early indications of, you know, sort of looking back now, um, of where I, where I've ended up. Um, so one example is I loved watching the nightly news with my dad, which now in hindsight kind of feeds into my love of international affairs. Um, and then, you know, kind of fast forwarding to high school, I went on, um, a Spanish trip to Europe, which really solidified my love of um, international travel. Um, and so kind of following that, it was a very quick, um, a very quick uh, acceleration into getting more and more international experiences. So for instance, I uh, studied abroad in South Africa, interned with the U.S. Embassy in Zambia. I was a full bright scholar in Thailand. Um, and then I reached grad school. And uh, grad school is where I really Solidified what I was interested in international development, um, as I said, I knew I was interested in the sector generally. I had a lot of passion for it, but I just couldn't quite articulate what I wanted to do and I was actually applying for internships and talking to my roommate, and she made me realize what I kept coming back to again and again was an interest in partnerships and in collaboration, because I love the thought of you know what roles do civil society play in government and private sector. And we usually kind of believe that it's pretty clear, it's pretty black and white, like where those, what those roles are, but actually it's not clear. And they're constantly kind of unofficially negotiating with each other. Um, an example I like to use is SAB Miller has actually provided a lot of healthcare services across Africa because they found a lot of their staff was not coming to work because they were sick from the effects of HIV AIDS. So they've actually started offering medication at the factory, which has um, obviously increased um, as people feel healthier, they come to work. And so it's been mutually beneficial for everyone involved, which is great, but it blurs the lines of who's responsible for what. And I love um, kind of that space. So um, after grad school I did um, I moved to DC where I'm now based and I worked for an organization called the Initiative for Global Development and it's an organization that works with CEOs and senior executives on spurring economic growth and development in Africa. And some of the member companies are, are big ones you've heard of, like GE, um, but the majority are actually um, smaller uh, African firms. And so um, one of the biggest projects I worked on there was for the Rockefeller Foundation. Um, I was managing a program that was looking at how companies can help reduce post harvest loss in Africa. Um, and so what, what does that mean? Well, in places like the US, about 30%, if you can believe, 30% of our food is lost at the end of the process. So, you know, the Uh, fruits and vegetables that go bad at the grocery store or you decide you're finally going to eat healthy and so you buy that big bag of lettuce but only finish half of it and throw the rest away um it's about 30 percent of our food is lost that way well in places like Africa it's at the other end so they don't have you know state-of-the-art tractors so not all the food is harvested um the you know, transportation and the packaging and the processing are not up to um, international standards. So a lot of it gets damaged or lost along the way. So it's about 30% there too. And so Rockefeller has been looking at um, how to lower those percentages since we're already growing this food, how do you save more of it and feed more people? Um, And so the insights we developed as part of that project became part of a $130 million initiative by the Rockefeller Foundation called YieldWise. Um, and so now I'm, I'm currently a contractor with USAID, which is the US government's uh, development organization. And I work specifically with the partnership office. And what I'm doing is helping them build the internal capacity of USAID staff to identify and develop partnerships. Um, And yeah, just build that capacity because even if you're a water expert, that doesn't mean you know how to talk to Coca Cola about water, you know, doing a water project together, right? It's a different set of skills. So, as I kind of lay that all out, I realize that makes it sound like a very logical, sequential, straight road, but I assure you it's not. It's not easy. It's a lot of asking yourself over and over again, like, What do I want to be when I grow up? So, um, I just always want to encourage people that it's okay if you don't know the answer to that question. And we're all just working our way towards gaining some more clarity. And I really hope this book and hopefully even this podcast help people get a little bit more clarity on where they're going so they can um, take the next step.
0: What, in your eyes, are the biggest challenges? while working in international development? Ooh, that is a difficult question. Um, Cause I think it's a little bit,
1: could be tailored depending on kind of what you're working on. I think uh, different people would have very different reactions to that question. If you're working in humanitarian affairs, for instance, you would ha- I feel like you would have, um, could have a specific answer Within that, I think um, to speak generally, I, I would say two things. Kind of hearkening back to my why question, that people have unrealistic expectations um, sometimes. And like I said, I've I've been guilty of this too. That you want to just charge ahead and kind of you know make things happen quickly. And I think you know with sort of the world getting smaller, internet, you know, being able to jot around, you can get around the world in twenty four hours. We we expect things to happen quicker, but it turns out kind of the underlying social causes of poverty are not quite as easily fixed as, you know, hailing an Uber. So, you know, that that kind of tension is always there. And then I think also a challenge, um, depending on where you're from, like, uh, you might not get as close to the work as perhaps you want. Let me, let me kind of explain that. Um, so for instance, I'm, I'm an American citizen. And so a lot of the countries I work on, I've um, had a lot of experience in Africa and, and Southeast Asia. Well, because I'm not from there, um, my role is usually at a more managerial kind of level where I'm managing the project, but I'm not the one kind of doing the actual work. Um, and I think some people, when they imagine what international development might be like, they picture themselves, you know, in the African village, like doing, you know, actually doing the physical work. And most of the time, um, that's not the case if you're not from that country. So there, there is sometimes this divorce from the day-to-day work um, and Kind of what the actual ben- benefits are, um, and I think that's always a struggle to to not always see sort of the the impact you're you're having, and you just have to kind of believe in your theory of change and believe in kind of what you're doing and
0: and keep charging on. Wow! Yes. Oh man, I'm thinking about the strength that it takes to to work in this field, and then. I also like that, you know, you right now, but also in your book, you're giving us a little bit of a reality check. And I think when you can kind of establish expectations that might also lead to a better fit in a job. right?
1: Because I I don't mean to discourage people and act like every day is drudgery. I don't mean it to sound (laughs) like that. Um, Because obviously I like it or I wouldn't be showing up to work every day and I wouldn't be in this field. But I think it's important to realize that like any other job, um, you know, it has some great positives and some great, you know, some negatives as well that are what they are. And I think it's important to to go in with your eyes open so that you you just know they're sitting there um, and can make decisions with awareness of that.
0: Absolutely, okay, so yeah, then that's my next question is what do you feel are the biggest reasons to to go into working in this field? again, I feel like this is uh it's it's very personal right It's very like
1: what what does it for you um i can i i would i give one kind of general answer um and one sort of specific to me, but like like I said, I think you need to also think of. Uh, the field of international development, like you would going into any field, and sort of think about the trade offs you would make, you know, in terms of pay versus, you know, the type of job you want to accept versus, you know, there's all these kind of trade offs that every job has to make. And so it's important to kind of think that through. Um, and so I would say the biggest reasons for going in and why I love it is that the entire point. The entire point be- behind international development is to help people. That's it. And I love I love that thought. It's not to build another widget. It's not to make another dollar. And I don't mean to like poo-poo um, other sectors, but I love that like the point is to make people's lives better, which is kind of a beautiful thought. <laughs> but then also more specifically to me, why... I find it so interesting is I, I find um, kind of thinking through how societies work, the context to be fascinating. My favorite class in high school, um, to be a little bit nerdy, um, it was AP government. I loved studying different types of governments um, and how they work. And then within that, thinking through how sectors can interact and collaborate to, to help people, um, which is why I uh, work in public-private partnerships or how um, different sectors can can partner. So how the private sector can partner with governments to um, have better social impact.
0: I think it is good to think back to the early origins of when we, of kind of like you said, when things clicked into place for us and when we realized what we're fascinated about and mm-hmm. then how we can turn that into a career. So in your book, you talk a lot about your pitch and you touched on this too with the you know, the coffee shop dates and networking, but can you kind of lay out for us, what is a pitch and do you have any advice for where we start when we're trying to create it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, actually, um, in the latter half of the book, sort of, as I mentioned briefly before, it has, um, it does kind of go through, it has a number of chapters that go through kind of how, how to action these answers. So the idea is you're taking the answers from these, these questions and pulling it together into this pitch, and then or elevator speech, if you will, depending on how you want to call it, and then how to use that to, um, you know, how do you kind of set up networking, like who do you reach out to, how do you set up these coffee dates, things like that. Um, so the idea is you're, you're pulling these answers together, but even if you don't buy the book, it's fine. Um, feel free to use, there's online um, sites that kind of go through uh, what are different parts of a pitch. Um, overall, it just needs to feel natural to you as long as it doesn't feel um, awkward coming out but I can talk through what in the book I said were kind of the four main components to me. Um, so the first part of it is just saying who you are. And it's important to say, so literally just saying your name and it's important to say your first and last name. Um, I'm originally from the Midwest where we're infamously informal. And so, you know, sometimes it's just, hi, my name's Jessica is a perfectly acceptable thing. But at least once in a networking opportunity they should hear your last name um and so with the hope that it'll help them remember who you are because it turns out there's more than one Jessica in this world so um you know I'm no Madonna so I have to help people remember me as I can <laughs> um so two I would say um uh, you want to give them some idea of either what work you do or what work you'd be interested in doing um and so if you are interested in working in monitoring evaluation or whatever, whatever your interest is. And then a third aspect of it would be, I, I say, what makes you special? So do you have a certain experience in that area? Um, and if you're a student, have you done a project or some sort of example of a work um, product that you can, you can talk about? Um, and then four, what is your ask or goal in kind of this speech um, or in this uh, this pitch you're making? Um, would you love to get some specific advice from the person you're talking about? Do you do you want thoughts on aspects of the job from them? Would you love to be connected with somebody else? Uh, what would you love to hear? And basically imagine all of that in 30 seconds because after 30 seconds, you've you're losing people. Um, so I realized it's a lot to, to kind of fit in. Um, and in the book, I actually give two examples. One is um, looking at a, a kind of pitch you could give as a student and one you could give um, as a professional. How can we keep in touch with your
0: work? Where can we find your book?
1: Um, Well, first, the the book itself is on Amazon. It's in two different formats. You can buy it on Kindle or you can buy a paperback copy. Um, So feel free to go on Amazon. Um, And then you can find me on a couple different platforms. I'm on Twitter at Jessica K. Ernst, and that's E-R-N-S-T. Or I have a website, which is WordPress. Dot com, and I would love to hear if people uh, do buy the book and read it. I would love to hear positive, negative feedback. You know, it's always helpful um, to improving the content in the future. I would love to hear people's thoughts.
0: In closing, what are some words of wisdom that you want to send our listeners off with? What advice would you give to young women hoping to work in development? What I would say to people is don't be
1: afraid to reach out, talk to people. Don't be afraid to to network. Um, I, I know I was a little bit nervous. I did go on those coffee dates, but probably not as much as I should have. And I think, especially as women, sometimes we're hesitant to feel like we're wasting people's time or bothering people. Um, and, I can tell you, just don't feel that way. Don't worry about it. You're fine. If they don't want to meet with you, they'll say so, or, you know, you, you won't get a response, but I must say I was pleasantly surprised and I have consistently been pleasantly really surprised as I reach out to folks to, to network myself that I would say 90% of the time I get a response. Um, and it's, you know, not always, yeah, I'd be happy to meet you, but it, might be go ahead and email me some questions. I'm happy to respond. Um, people overall are very generous with their time and are, uh, offer a lot of great insights. And I, I would offer um, also within that uh, a few kind of ideas of, of what to go in with. Um, I would say when you do go to these coffee dates, I would say, be sure, remember, go in with your pitch. Um, so you can be very clear with them what um, what you want, um, and then also or and then also go in with some good questions. Think about um, what you would like to hear about besides asking for a job, because obviously that is a big no no in networking. But what what else would you like to hear? You know what you can ask things like what skills and experience. They have that have benefited them, or that they wish they had, or the type of people they're hiring have, you know. So you can learn a little bit more and gain some gla- greater clarity. Um, and then, third, I would say, uh, don't forget it's the most important part to send an email um, thanking them for their time because they did give up some of their valuable time for you. Um, and I can't overstate how important it is to to spend 30 seconds. Don't overthink it. It's literally one line just saying, thank you, thank you back. So overall, just don't be afraid to reach out and chat with people.
0: On that note, I will say thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Thanks for joining us on the Women in Diplomacy podcast. And everyone listening, definitely check out So You Want to Save the World? A Guide to Pursuing a Career in International Development. listening to the Women in Diplomacy podcast. The theme song for this podcast is called Misty Moses and it's by the artist Rodrigo y Gabriela. Use of that recording is graciously provided by Rubyworks Records in Dublin, Ireland. For more information and to download more music by Rodrigo y Gabriela, check out theforeignpolicyproject.org.